Hello and welcome to the Hoosie Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And of course, this week we're going to be discussing the War of the Santarans. Uh, so we'll kick off that shortly. But of course, this week you've also got uh, news, stats, and we've got a little report from um, the BFI from the Galaxy 4 uh, showing uh, from uh, su- Sunday the 7th of November which was uh, so we'll be bringing a, a little uh, thing for you later on so um, but first things first though we're going to kick off with uh, looking at War of the Sontarans so let's have a little listen to the trailer <gasps> Crimean War, 1855, Mary Seacole. Mrs. Seacole to you. Please tell me you're not about to engage Sontarans in battle. I accept your offer of a massacre. Fire! Uh, the post of the Sontaran Empire! No, it won't. Leave this planet now, and you get to leave alive. <laughs> okay, then. So, Paul, it's your turn to kick off proceedings this week. Uh, what do you think of this one? Yeah, enjoyed it again. Um, bit more of a definite storyline to this week. Yes. Um, uh, yes. But still... Sort of everything a bit odd around the edges, so to speak. Yeah, because you still got the um, obviously you got Dan and and Yaz gone off and done their own uh, their own things this week. Um, you've also still not entirely sure who Swarm and um, Azure yeah. are, and their new companion, the passenger. Yeah. Uh, as well, we don't know who who uh, who he is. So, so you've got, obviously you've got Vinda is now firmly in the mix as well. Um. Yeah, so it was a bit more straightforward for the Doctor. Um, and it was just good to see the companions off doing their own thing. Yeah, and yeah, and it sort of made a bit more sense as well. <laughs> yes, with, with it how did. they were. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, it did feel a bit, lot more like a normal Doctor Who story. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I, I did really like the Centauran. Uh, characters and makeup and whatever, and I think that really worked well as far yes. as I was concerned. Yes, it did, didn't it? It really did. Um, I think the there was part of me really, really hoping they weren't going to be used for, for like comedy effect again. Uh, but when and to begin with, it 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 wasn't that you know they they weren't being used for that at all. Uh, but then you got to was it Sfield? Which the captured Sontara and it was played for laughs again. Where it was almost like a, a Strax again. It was Dan Starkey. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it was a bit. It's very very Strax like the way it was played. Um. All sort of bravado and bluster, whilst it was chained up. Um. And I thought, oh, it, it kind of disappointed me again. But then once he got back to the Sontaran camp. Yeah. That was just ended, didn't it? Because he got yeah. executed, and that, yeah. that was the end of that. Um, yeah, and I thought, um, yeah, yeah, it was good to see them back to where they should be. Yes. Really, and yeah, just basically just storming, w- walking through, killing people ruthlessly. Ruthlessly, yes, indeed, indeed. I think the the only thing that I sort of they still haven't quite got the Sontarans right. And it never has done since day dot, really. I'm going back as far as the time warrior, which also got a bit of a nod 
um, in this episode, didn't we? They talked about links. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with these first uh, attempts at uh, sort of capturing planet the, Earth. Yeah, claiming yeah, the planet. Yeah, for the... yeah exactly. Uh, which I thought was another nice little callback. Um, but they're meant to be sort of master um, strategists when it comes to war. And all you see them do so far is march towards the enemy. <laughs> um, shoot them. Shoot them, yeah, exactly. So I haven't seen much strategy going on yet, actually. Well, I suppose the strategy was turn up with better weapons, really. Yeah, I think it was, actually. Um, but yeah, I thought it, it, they, they looked really, really good. Um, you know, um, it was something I was sort of... I, I must admit, I was sort of... Not saying watching sort of like be, sort of between my fingers or anything. It's sort of like, you know, sort of, you know, we sort of like make just, oh, please, please, please be... You know how you should be, and and they were, yeah. they really yeah. were. So I was, I was really, really, really pleased with that. Um, yeah, I, I, I love the, the the way they were sort of like they're, they're sort of the, you know a temporal war. Um, I suppose the strategy was was take advantage. It was a military advantage to take the you know take of of the swarm, or not the swarm, the flux. Sorry, yeah, well, which is you what know. the setup was from last week. From last wasn't week, it? yeah, I knew it was going to happen, and then yeah. they slipped in just before the. Shield was put round the earth, yeah, and have then basically, yeah, sending out decided the way to conquer the planet was to. I mean, I don't look quite sure why the way to conquer the planet was to go back in time, seeing as they seem to be pretty much having conquered the planet at that point. They've at taken that point over in all, time, yeah, all yeah. of Russia and China, yeah. Why? Why do you need to? Why did you need to actually send go back and build the planet from the start? Sort of, you know, to conquer the planet from. The start of it just well, seemed to be a bit of an odd one. You've, you've done it now. Why do you need to? Well, I think the only reason they did it because they said they took advantage. They slipped in just before Carvanisa, the Lupari race, had formed the shield around Earth. They sneaked yeah. in. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they were using the modern technology, or the, you know, the base of the Liverpool docks on the on the on the front, weren't they, to to build the ships, and then send them back in time. As, as sort of like a because going back in time was it was almost like a it was a trial run wasn't it I think that's what they were saying yeah so I so I I think what they were they were sort of conquering Earth from a military standpoint it was easier to do it from that from that time but but from what the conversation between Dan and his parents was was that basically they was already in charge of the Earth. They'd already yeah. conquered the Earth then, so I just don't see what they was tactically gaining by changing the timelines. Well, yeah, I know it was that. I suppose that whole thing of of the whole effect of time, really, isn't it? Because they were they needed the stuff in the future to capture it from the past. Yeah, I'm assuming that that's the way it was. That's the way it was going. Yeah, I mean, if you if you think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, really. But no. um, but. I I enjoyed it. I just I right. thought it was a, I thought yeah, it was a I, cracking I, episode. I enjoyed it. It's only actually now talking now because I've only seen watched it once. So same I here. Same had a here. Chance to go through and think. So it's only now talking to you now. I'm starting to think. But actually, the other thing actually, of course, is why aren't if the, if the Santarans are have captured the Earth mm. basically? Why aren't the Lupari protecting their humans? That is true. I mean, why, those, why, three, those three yeah. that were executed in the docks, surely their, I don't know, the, their Lupari person should have been, yeah. twin should have been there to protect them. 
That's they a very good point. They failed in keeping, keeping them alive. Yes. Yes. No, do you know what? I didn't pick up on that. That's that's, that's actually a very, very good point. Yeah, I think it would... I mean, obviously, that was just to illustrate just how ruthless yeah. um, the Sontarans were for, 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 from Dan's perspective anyway, because he hadn't actually seen yeah. anything happen at that point. But no, that's that's a very good very good point. And I'm not saying it's, it's a... It's a plot hole or anything. It's no, just sort of it, it just, they it just served its purpose just to illustrate how ruthless they were. And yeah, because yeah. when because obviously when he turns up to save Dan, you think yeah, that's a logical thing. But then it's mm. only then you start thinking, well, actually, why didn't the 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 people who's the Lapari whose whose humans were killed in that? Why didn't they turn up to protect them? But there you yeah. Go. So. Yeah, exactly. As I say it, it's not much point in, when you think about it far too much. Is I know. It? <laughs> I know. This, this is the problem. Is actually probably the better the story, the more you tend to then find. I tend to then find myself picking little holes. Yes, because, indeed. Because I'm just that way inclined. <laughs> now the other thing that um, so the episode starts when they sort of all been sort of ejected from the TARDIS after the swarm. I keep calling it the swarm after the flux, flux. Yeah. Um, sort, of ent- sort of entered the TARDIS last week. Um, and the Doctor woke up with that really creepy floating house. Now, that that's a bit of a mystery. Yeah. Um, I'd like to know where that's where that's heading, actually. That, yeah. that was that was really quite um, quite a sort of like a startling image, actually, uh, to, to, to coin a, a sort of almost like a footballing phrase there. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it? It's a powerful yeah. image, <laughs> isn't it? Wasn't it marvelous? Um, yeah, that that did look really, 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 really good. Um, and I must admit, I thought the the sort of like the CGI and the effects and everything were, were really sort of like excellent this week. Actually, yeah. I really did. You know, I, I really did like it. Um, but yeah, so once it sort of, you got into the you know, the, the crime here and the, the Battle of Sevastopol, um, and we meet Mary Seacole. As well, now I thought they they managed the historical aspect a hell of a lot better than they have done on the previous two series because they didn't sort of stop everything for, for a history lesson, did they? No, I mean you were basically left to if you want to look this up yourself, go away and do it, sort of thing, weren't you? Afterwards, yeah, you know, and I yeah, thought, yeah, and I thought that that worked well enough that yeah, you could establish who the character is quite quickly. But you didn't need the backstory. You didn't need a long discussion. No, between her and the doctor as to why she was there and whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought that it was handled so much better. Uh, I, I, th- I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's um. Obviously, it's as you said. You already picked up on the fact that you know the Lupari should have defended their humans when they got executed. But I was just sort of thinking it. <sighs> Is this more sort of like because we're sort of thinking this would would this sort of structure um, of story bring out the best in Chris Chibnall? Yeah, and I've got to say, and I, I say it's very early doors at the moment. I'm going to say, you know, on the base of like the first two episodes, I'm going to say probably yes. Actually, he seems to be handling this a lot much better than a standalone story. Having the arc seems to play; yeah. it does at the moment appear to play to his strengths. I mean, it may well, of course, be a case that there's so much to fit in. He hasn't actually got the time to do the, you know, if if he didn't have the other bits, the swarm and that bits all going on as well, and it was just mm. centred around the Centaurans and the Crimea, 
we yeah. may well have had time to have the the long history and yeah the history lesson and yeah, yeah. let's let's all stop the plot whilst the doctor explains everything but and... be- because because i mean the, the actual thing that's been noticeable about these two episodes is really the speed at which stuff is is happening yes yes indeed you're, which you're I've, giving... I've got no problem with that though that's no. that's the thing no not at yeah. all no and as long as yeah we're just you in it's just still throwing up more questions than it's answering oh definitely Definitely, because now uh, I know we're sort of skipping all over, around all over the place here, but we've got the whole. But so, so does the episode, is the problem. It does actually. It's yes, di- it's difficult. We are following to, suit. To, it is difficult to to review the episode in a linical fashion because. <laughs> well, I th- I thought um, obviously you've you've got um, this now. You've got this temple um, on the planet Time, which the Doctor says doesn't exist. Yeah. But now it does. So you've so there's another mystery chucked in there as well. Yeah. And you've got these these um, people are sort of who are quantum locked uh, uh, um, as well. Keep flickering in and out or, or activated when you enter this sort of like the main sort of plinth of the of yeah. the temple. Um, and you've got these priest triangles as well, which uh, which a lot of people have been co- uh, um, comparing to the Megara from Stones of Blood. Actually, mm. so with with the with the just with the voice patterns, but it's not, I don't yeah. think they've got anything to do with the Megara. It's yeah. got nothing to do with that. But it, it you know the, the the voice patterns. But the um, but the actor who did the voices that Nigel Richard Lambert has been in Doctor Who before. He played uh, Hardin in um, the Leisure Hive. Yeah, which is that's a pretty long gap actually for your next Doctor Who appearance, isn't it? But uh, um, but yeah, that's just a little, another little. Again, there seems to be a lot of little callbacks to classic. Who in the, in these first two episodes so far? Even to the point of using actors that have previously appeared in Who. Yeah, which is uh, yeah, it's just a little little thing, you know. If you know, you know. You don't, you don't. That's it. It's just fun finding out, really. Um, so yeah, I I um, I can't what I got up to now actually, but uh, yeah, now you this this uh, the, yeah. the, the 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 temple which because I only watched it the once, I can't remember the name of the temple. Um, but it's uh, but then you get like swarm and. Uh, Azure and Passenger, who we don't know where he's come from at the moment. He's a bit of a, right. a, 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 a silent mystery, um, sort of wreaking havoc in there. But before that, and, and, seeming, and seemingly returning to there. Yes. So yeah, is is this the what what is this is all about, or is this just another step on the way? Yeah, yeah. That, who knows at the moment? This is the thing. He's keeping and everyone that, and they, seem, they seem to be quantum locked to actually to protect themselves against Swarm. Because obviously yeah. Swarm doesn't... Swarm and Azure don't actually cause them to appear, do they? No, they can't get them. They have to make others go in to activate so they can yeah. then remove them. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the good thing was, uh, you know, Yaz, again, had something to do this episode. Yeah. And I, I'm really pleased. I think she's really sort of grown as a, a character. I'm, I'm hoping this will continue throughout this story, really, because she, she was like a like a spare will in the previous two series. She didn't really sort of, for me, she never really clicked in the crew. The, the, to me, the focus is always on Graham and, and Ryan Yeah, all the time. Um, so now the focus has shifted around to her. And, and now you've also got Dan to be the one that's going to be, is, is the... 
why are we doing this? What's happening here? Why am I? Yeah. You know, where yeah. where are we, Doctor? Sort of to do yeah. that role. So it's freed Yaz to be a bit more knowing and a bit more. Because it, well, yeah, because yeah, because this week he officially got invited onto the TARDIS, didn't he? Yeah. Um, which is in a really bad way, isn't it, the TARDIS? Well, and that's alluded to by the fact that they're saying, you know, if there's a, if something was happening in the, that temple on the on planet, the planet time, time, yeah, that would cause problems to a a time machine. Yeah. So they and say, again, you know, and say, again, oh, why you, does the doctor not is... know? Yeah, why does yeah. the doctor not know about this again? That was uh, yeah, weird thing. I, I, the other thing I did like as well in this one that was the doors disappearing on the so last week. The, the Taurus had all the doors and, and then yeah. some, and this week it had none. Uh, which was again, it sort of reminded me a little bit of uh, Father's Day when the, the when the Ninth Doctor opened up the Taurus and it was empty. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. With just sort of like watching. The thirteenth running around the t- outside the tower trying to find the doors. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite an effective moment. Actually, it was sort of like the look of panic on it on her face. Yeah, and um, yeah, as just just as basically being told that she's got to stay there. Yeah, until she sorted that problem out. Well, which I thought was really good. Really good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did like the way. Um, I I really liked Jodie Whittaker in this episode actually because I thought it was again. I have I never re- really revisited revisited the last couple of episode uh, series. Sorry, um, so I could be you know misremembering stuff here, but I thought this is one of the few episodes where she sort of took control of the situation rather than just being a passenger. Yeah. To to, to events, uh, particularly after the like the first battle, you know, she tried to sort of tell what was it? Is uh, it Skak? Yeah, actually, yeah, or Skark, Skak, um, that the the plant was defended. Then you had General Logan was behind us, had basically had her arrested because he wanted to meet the Sontans on the field of battle. I didn't actually realize it was going to happen right there and then. Actually, yeah. I thought it was just it was just a parlay, as as the, to, to use the, the you know the the phrase of the of of the time. But um, yeah, so she she was trying to do that, then taken out of it, and then obviously when. The British forces got massacred. I, then the Doctor took charge and come up with the plan and everything. So I thought it was it was good to see that this time. Yeah, you know it really was. Um, and then got got betrayed at the end by General Logan, who wanted to, wanted to do his own thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing that sort of um, I thought they did that bloody quickly. They had six minutes. Yeah, and they managed to put on you know barrels of gunpowder and lay lay, lay the trails. To light as well, like you know, to light yeah. the fuse. Uh, I thought, yeah, that's that was the only thing. I thought that's that's stretching it a little bit. <laughs> it was very much a callback as well to the Christmas invasion, wasn't it? Yes, it was, wasn't it? Very much so. Very where, much so. Yeah, where the doctors defeated them and they're running. Yeah, or withdrawing um, without killing anybody as well. Yeah, um, and, the, and that's and the human. That's, and the human decides that no, yeah. they're not going to get away. They're going to. Yeah, and it's all done for revenge, revenge for the men that he'd lost. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I did like that. I don't know if it was, uh, I don't, I, actually, I like the fact what Mary Seacole was doing as well. She, you know, it was the whole um, using her intelligence and, and uh, sort of basically almost like a, a powers of observation. Yeah. As well. The Doctor used that to 
so she could track their movements and the fact that she Mary Seacole figured out they had to sort of sort of sleep for seven was it seven and a half minutes every twenty seven yeah. hours or something. Yeah. I mean I know I know people have said it does seem a bit of a a weakness of a of a warrior race that they haven't worked out how to do shift patterns. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one was still awake because he raised the alarm, so at least one yeah. of them was still still. But, yeah, but why, why, you know, half of them don't... I mean, since it's only seven minutes every 27 hours, you'd have thought, you know, you could, like, over over half an hour, you could have done it in shifts. Yes. They could have had that... Although, I suppose, as a cloned race, do they all have to... Are they all on the same internal clock, if you know what I mean? Well, th- there is that, actually. There is that. But, I mean, plus the other thing is where it was nice to see it referenced again. That they had to go and recharge because it hasn't. I don't think it's really been formed part of the plot. I think since uh, the Sontaran experiment. No. I, I mean, again, I could be misremembering what, what you know what's coming—the invasion of time and and um, two doctors and, and and so on and so on. But to have it actually again formed part of the, of the plot and a way to defeat the Sontarans, I thought was um, it was it was nice to see again. Yeah, it really was nice to see again. But uh, yeah, yeah. So it was. Um, I think the I think the stuff with Dan in Liverpool I thought was rather rather good as well actually I did I like I liked him sneaking about and armed with his wok um, yeah and I think there was a little um, a little surprise there for Bro- fans of Brookside as well for those of you who don't know what Brookside is it was a, it was a soap on Channel Four in the UK it was it Sue I was it Sue Jenkins and oh what was the other guy's name oh was it Paul Broughton as Dan's parents actually which i thought it was good to see but however i think somebody pointed out they're actually only 10 years older than <laughs> yeah than uh than uh, john bishop so it was yeah it was a little bit uh but yeah again it's one of those, if you knew who they were you knew who they were that was it i think i think i saw sue jenkins in cory more than um brookie to be honest i never watched brookside to be honest but, brookside, uh, so, no. no but uh if you're going to film something in Liverpool, you've got, a, you've got a Brookside mention, really, or, or reference yeah. some way. <laughs> no, I thought it was uh, I thought it was good. But I like the fact that Dan was filming everything as well. Yeah. You know, as a way to sort of keep a record and show the Doctor. Uh, so I thought that was... Uh, yeah, it was just, it just good. He, he's not... Um, he's, I, I know what you're saying. He's going to be, oh, what's this doing, Doctor? Why is that happening, Doctor? And, and all that kind of thing. But I think it's... Uh, he was actually using his own... Initiative, yeah. Initiative, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like no, no, that. no, no. I do, yeah. But I just think, yeah. If you need, but if you need a character now to to be amazed at what's going on, yeah. At least it can now be Dan rather than, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm rather, rather yeah, rather than yes, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, what did you think of the sort of the the, the, the dialogue? Of this? Because I I thought the, the it worked really well, especially with the the Sontaran sort of skurks skak. It's skak, isn't it? Because they had that joke that hit the road skack, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, earlier. Yeah. Um, but I just like the fact that he's he, the reasons why he was, you know, he, he was conquering Earth and and just and he wanted to ride a I horse. horse. <laughs> I did like that. I did like that because I, I was watching um, it with um, with Scott, and um, he 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 laughed out loud at quite a few things. Actually, he liked um, Carvanista back in again. Of course, when they. Um, ejected themselves off of the Sontaran ship, and he and he shook himself like a yeah. dog. Yeah, Scott laughed his head off at that bit. So it's um, do you know what? It's, it was actually quite nice because I was picking up things from 
old Doctor Who. He's pick. He liked the comedy things. He like we we both liked all the um sort of the battles and the Sontarans and and Swarm and Azure and all that. So I think for the first time in a long time, this episode felt like it really was made for a, a you know a family, different generations to sit down and watch. There's yeah. bits, be, from my point of view. There appears to be something for everybody in this one. Yeah, massacre of the British Army. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but again, that was that they didn't um, sort of shy away from it, particularly executing the injured on the battlefield. No, as well, which I I was. Um, and, and the opening, uh, the opening thing is, you know, the, the the dead on the battlefield. Yeah. Now it's fairly bloodless. That you, there was no blood and, and yeah. guts or anything. Um, but. Yeah, it was. They they didn't hold back on that front. No, and the talk about the stench of death and yeah, whatever. I and mean, I think yeah, I think uh, there was yeah, there was a without being gratuitously violent, it was it, it got the across the the war side of it. Yeah, the horrors of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without being too too graphic. No, I, yeah. I agree. I really do agree. Um, I think it's. Uh, I mean, for for a BBC budget, I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah, it, you know, it really did. And obviously, the um, the Crimean War was absolutely. You know, it was huge battles were being being committed. You know, being fought there. And okay, it was some Turrets rather than Russians that the British were fighting. But I thought it came over really well. And okay, it was it was over in a in a in an instant. Really, didn't they? Didn't sort of obviously haven't got the budget to have a long drawn out battle anything but I, I thought it was effective for what they managed to yeah. do I thought it was really effective yeah no I I, I did I, I really really enjoyed that I really did enjoy it um yeah I, I think obviously the it's left on another really good cliffhanger again yeah and, and, the, it, and the question is actually are they actually yeah. gonna follow are you actually gonna pick up the next episode at the cliffhanger point we've got now or are we gonna have what like, like last week which was the tardis basically being enveloped by the flux, mm. and then we suddenly we start this episode. They've they've landed on Earth in the eighteen fifties or whatever. It yeah, is. yeah, mm, maybe, maybe. You know, are we going to? Are we going to? They're I, almost like false cliffhangers, aren't they? Because it just doesn't. Well, I, I, we I'll be interested. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if this is a, if next week's does turn out to be a false cliffhanger because um, it's. The threat is pretty immediate, there, isn't it? Really. Yeah. So I, I think if they, if they do, I'll, I'll feel that's a bit of a cop out. I mean, if, they can only. If, I mean, I suppose they could do it as sort of as flashback, but I don't know how. Yeah, you, I don't know either. You've still no. got to come back to that point. I mean, whether you end up, you end up with the same cliffhanger for this next episode, you know, because <laughs> it comes back to that point. I don't know, but I hope not. I hope they don't uh. do that. But it's just nice to see cliffhangers again. Uh. You but it's, but it but it is interesting, you know, because you are aware that we're only a third of the way in. Yeah, and it's awful. It's awful to say that, isn't it? And it seems like we are at a pretty ending cliffhanger. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, Swarm and Azure really do have the upper hand, and they yeah. have done since last week, really, haven't they? Um, and at the moment, you do think, how is the Doctor going to get out? You know, get out of this one. Um, yeah, I. It, it's 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 sort of made me sort of like be like a kid again. Actually, I can't wait for next week. Yeah, to, you know, just to, you know, to see how it um, to see how it pans out. Yeah, 
I, I, I'm at the moment. Oh. I'm really pleasantly surprised. And like, as you say, we're a third of the way through, only two episodes, yeah. but I'm really pleasantly surprised about how well this is turning out so yeah. far. I mean, if if the fear that we'd had earlier that the BBC might drop all episodes onto iPlayer straight away, mm. yeah. had they done so, I think the temptation to have carried on watching, I would have done. Would have been. Would have been. Yeah, quite yeah, strong. I would have done. Yeah, so um, I'm glad they didn't because I think this is how it works. I mean, if you're going to have cliffhangers at the end of every episode, then hmm. surely you've got to have a a break to make it worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. Now the other thing we haven't mentioned, Joseph Williamson cropped up again this episode, walking around the temple. Yeah. So it's obviously something to do with the tunnels that he's digging in Liverpool, as but, are somehow connected to this to this temple. Yeah. So again, it, it's. It's dropping the characters back in. The characters haven't been forgotten about. Obviously, we haven't seen Claire with no. and the Weeping Angels this week, but um, I do like the fact that he's just dropping them in, still building on the mystery, and they disappear again. You've got to wait to see what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm loving it at the moment. I really am. Christ, Paul, I'm saying this about a Chris Chibnall <laughs> script. <laughs> well, someone said about, because um, obviously Yaz had... Was it WWTDD, as in yeah. what would the doctor do? Yeah. As someone, as someone said about, do you think Chibnall's got that written on his hand, as in what would Terence Dix do? <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh, I like that. That's good. That's really good. Uh, actually, there is one thing I don't, um, you know, when sort of Yaz and Dan disappear at the beginning of the episode, they start to fade out and disappear yeah. to wherever they're going. The only, that that I thought the explanation for that wasn't really sort of credible, really. Because you think back to last week, the Doctor didn't know what the flux was. Yeah. But then this week, she said, oh, it's it's the mixture of flux and um, whatever the the bloody time vortex. Yeah. Arch energy, whatever you know, it was. Um, and I thought last week you didn't know what it was, but now you've reached jumped to that conclusion. The mixture of the two has made them disappear. Although she did take a reading of the flux with her sonic screwdriver. She did. But still doesn't so, know what it was or how it was being controlled. So, so I, sp- I suppose the argument would be that she did have a, she could have a rough guess as what it might do if it reacted. Yeah. I suppose I think but, to me that was probably the only the flimsiest thing in there as just to get them to where they needed to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. To and move those to particular plots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It would have made more sense if, say, like, oh, I don't know, Swarm or Azure just popped up and. Disperse them somewhere, or weeping angel, yeah, or something that done it. But oh well, it's uh, it's by the by, it's by the by anyway. That's uh, yeah. So I think I mean, for, I mean for me, um, I, I really loved it. And any, I mean, any story that actually does something to, to make, <laughs> so to you know improve that Tardis set, <laughs> that's <laughs> it's it's all the good for me. <laughs> oh crikey. I am, I am thinking by episode six, we are going to find out the reason the TARDIS set is, is in such disarray is because you're going to be there. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> Oh, dear. So, um, With a chainsaw and a lot of black ink. And a lot of black ink, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so that, I'd like, yeah, I'd like to see what, you know, why the TARDIS is reacting like this. So, yeah, there's, there's, a lot to, there's a lot of plot strands to unravel here, and I'm really enjoying it. I really am. I mean, yeah, I mean, we have had... I mean, last week said there wasn't actually a, a set story in this one. We have actually had a set story in the middle of this episode. Yeah. But 
enough of the still um, weird stuff that's throwing up more questions to keep you guessing oh, yeah. as to where we're going. I mean, is that going to be the last we're going to see of the Centaurans now? Well, that's the, that's the thing. Um, I, I can't really see that happening. I, I reckon they've got to pop up again later. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that's starting to make me wonder is, are we going to have a... As the as the support story to the to the art, are we going to have like the the villain of the week? Well, maybe. Like, are, are we going to have weeping angels one week, and are we going to have Cybermen the next, and whatever? Yeah. Well, the way I understood it, the weeping angels are going to play a bit more of a, a sort of more integral to the to the plot, really, I mean, especially yeah. with what we know we saw Claire in the first episode, and she must play a larger part. In, in this, yeah. and, the, and the angels have got something to do with it because she knew exactly what was going to happen to her, didn't she? Yeah. Or, or it appeared that way last week. She knew she was going to be met by an angel um, yeah. on the way home on, on that particular night. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I hope it doesn't work. It, you know, it, it, they're just the villain of the week. Um, I hope they've got they've got more to do, the Sontarans. Yeah. I really do. I really do. But, uh, well, I think we've. I mean, have you anything else to say, Paul, before we no. uh, before we move no, on to our, really. yeah. to our next uh, next uh, uh, item? So obviously, that's what um, Paul and I thought. But obviously, what did um, you at home think? And obviously, we've asked your feedback again. We've people have very kindly wrote into us again. Um, so we're doing something a little bit different. We've we've now got a feedback. We've we've now turned into a, its own segment, really, and we've brought in someone else to help out with reading out the feedback. So, um, without further ado, then, let's go over to Omega's Feedback Corner. Those who oppose the will of Omega shall not live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Omega's Feedback Corner. And joining me this week and for the next few weeks to read out the feedback is my son, Scott. Hello, Scott. Hello. Hello. Right, okay. So, first of all, we're going to give us some feedback that was received uh, just after we recorded last week for the Halloween apocalypse. Um, so a couple of late uh, late runners here. So first off, we have Felicity Brown, and Felicity says, "I prefer my TV shows less serialised and a bit more episodic. Oh, and not fifty months of sorry stuffed in a ten pound bag. So it's a no for me. But I'll continue to watch to see where it goes." But on the other hand, Bill McCann the third said, "I liked it. It had a classic Who vibe about it." There's a word that no longer applies to Jodie's portrayal of the Doctor, tentative. She's no longer tentative. After that episode, anyone who believes she doesn't fully inhabit inhabit the character probably never will and don't get too concerned about following it. This is is a six-episode story. I don't expect it will make sense much for a while. I'm just going to enjoy the ride and withhold judgment until it's over. So far, so good. Good stuff. So moving on to War of the Sontarans, the feedback we had this week. Uh, we're going to kick off with Jeff Jeffrey Waddle, who said... Almost faultless, not a second of episode wasted or let down. An absolute cracker. And Kevin Mullen said... Outstanding, by far the best Sontaran story since the Time Warrior. Jodie was brilliant. John Bishop was effortlessly settled into the role as Mandip. It's finally proving that Yaz can add something to the story, as Jeffrey said, almost faultless. And Andrea Gill followed up with... Watched it on, on play, iPlayer, so no sound issues. Absolutely loved it. As close to perfect Edmonton as I've seen in a long time. And Alan T. Butcher followed up with his usual... 
Jolly good. Well, Felicity Brown said... That was so much better than last week's episode for me. But finally, Mark Anthony Masterson was the voice of... Well, he didn't like it too much because he said... The the representative from California would like to dissent. Well, there we are then. That's the feedback we've had. And thanks ever so much for uh, writing into us. So please continue to do so because we do love reading it out. And now we've got Scott to read it out. He likes reading it out for everybody as well. So for another week then, that's all done from Omega's Feedback Corner. Bye-bye. Scott gone. Ah, good. Uh, because there is one last piece of feedback, uh, but it had a naughty type swear word in there, which I couldn't really get my eight-year-old son to read out to all of you at home. So, um, so this last bit of feedback comes from uh, Steve Andrew uh, on Twitter. Um, his handle is at Darwin, and he says, Best depiction of the Suntarans since the classic series. Proper bloodthirsty bastards, not just comic relief. Dan Starkey clearly having the time of his life. Ah, well, there you are. That really is the last bit of feedback. And overwhelmingly positive there. Uh, It appears that everyone who did write in seemed to, uh, well, majority of people, I should say, who wrote in seemed to enjoy it. Uh, So there we are then. So that really is it. Um, So back over to Paul and me. Yeah, so let's kick off with some news. Now, unfortunately, we've got to start off with some, uh, yet again, with some sad news. The actor Clifford Rose has died at the age of 92. Now, in Doctor Who circles, he was best known uh, for uh, starring in Warrior's Gate in Tom Baker's last season. Um, It's not a story I particularly revisit, or that season I don't revisit a lot, Paul. Do do you? No. Actually? No, I have to say no, I haven't really. Not, Not Certainly not recently. No, and I must admit, on the occasions where I have watched Warriors Gate, it hasn't made a lot of sense to me, <laughs> to, to be honest. Um, but the other big role that Clifford Rose uh, is probably be- really best known for is playing Ludwig Kessler um, in Secret Army, which was made um, in the 1970s, and he was the uh, Gestapo officer. Now, um, did you used to watch Secret Army, Paul, back no. in the day? Well, no. I say it's been repeated on Talking Pictures um, in the UK at the moment, which I, I'm going to give a, give a plug for Talking Pictures TV because it's, it's an absolutely fantastic uh, t, uh, sort of, uh, TV station. It shows old classic movies and they've been shown a lot of uh, old British classic TV sh- uh, series as well. So they show some real curios on there. Um, yeah. But, the, but I, think they, I think they've shown all series of Secret Army and also... also um, Clifford Rose went on, went on to star as Kessler in the spin-off um, from Secret Arm, which is called Kessler, which was basically tracking him down as a war criminal uh, after the war. So, um, and he was real. I remember him, people absolutely hated him in Secret Army. He played it so well, you absolutely detested him. Now, I thought this goes to yeah. what a good actor um, he was, really. So, um, but he also played. Um, another Nazi officer in One Remembrance, if you remember, remember that that big glossy American series from the eighties. He played no. an SS. Do you, do you, <laughs> I don't, don't remember that. Don't that remember that. What, but remember Fortunes no. of War, One Remembrance. It had um, Robert Mitchum was in it. I, I can remember, remember it being on, but I just wasn't really. Was it? Yeah, I, me- I remember. I remember. Yeah, I remember watching Fortunes of War, but it was a typical glossy American eighties TV series, miniseries, really. You watch it now and you cringe. 
Yeah. Back then it was it 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 looked it looked brilliant, but now I just oh god no. Um, yeah. So I mean, ninety two. It's, it's a it was a good old age um, to to reach, but sad nevertheless actually. But I think yeah. he he you know. He's well remembered anyway for, for you know particularly for Secret Army because uh, I say it, it was a it was a good character and actually Secret Army is very very good Paul so if you if you never watched it I do recommend you do so I yeah. really do um, now also sadly um, and this is sort of like one of the how can I put it so one of the titans of Doctor Who really Bob Baker right the writer Bob Baker is best known for co-creating K nine has sadly died at the age of eighty two um, he's also uh, behind, he was he's the screenwriter behind the Wallace and Gromit series of films as well. Um, obviously, with he's writing part of Dave Martin, um, they contribute to a lot of Doctor Who scripts. Um, but they started off really with uh, with the Third Doctor, actually, with the Mutants and the Three Doctors, um, and then also you know the Claws of Axos. They wrote that as well. I mean, that's that hasn't been a good week for the Claws of Axos, has it? It hasn't, has it? It really hasn't. Oh dear, it's terrible. Um, but not only that, throughout the um, the Fourth Doctor's era as well, they wrote the sort of contribute to, um, to the Sontaran experiment, which we sort of just previously um, mentioned there. The Hand of Fear, Invisible Enemy, which we we saw uh, the introduction of K Nine, Underworld, Armageddon Factor, and Nightmare of Eden. Um, so, you know, it's he's always there, Bob Baker, wasn't he? He was sort yeah. of like because he because he also. Um, Obviously, he tried to get that. He did get that series for for K nine off the ground in Australia, um, which I think he was also trying to get that um, that film off the ground with K nine versus Omega, as well, which never really came to to anything, unfortunately, did it? No, for him. But um, but yeah, I mean, I say I, I don't think there's many there's many writers left from that from the sixties and seventies era of Doctor Who left now. No, I, I don't know if I can. I think there's only a couple left. Someone, someone did tweet or put it on, on a Facebook group about there's only these, there's only like a couple left now, um, which is a, it's, it's, God, Paul, it's making me feel old. Yeah, it really is. But I mean, um, it's, 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 it's interesting as well because it's also we was only just mentioning the fact that he's part of the the, the added content to the next Blu-ray series. Yes. Yeah, because he will be on the season seventeen um, box set. He was on there, yeah. so it's uh, an interview yeah. on there. It's obviously that's going to be released after his death. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he had. He, I don't think he had anything to do with Canon and Company, did he? Um, I don't think he didn't write it, did he? That one. No, but I suspect he had to license. You license K Nine out, yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly, but. Uh, but he also wrote for Bergerac and Shoestring and Public Eye and, and Call Me Mister as well. A lot of long as the, I, haven't, um, I haven't seen anyone mention, anyone mention Call Me Mister for a long while. No, no, me neither, actually. Um, what about um, Into the Labyrinth and King of the Castle? Because yeah. he also wrote that for children's TV as well. Into the Labyrinth. I, was, I loved Into the Labyrinth when I was a kid. Ron Moody was in it. And also the, 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 the beautiful Pamela Salem as well, um, huh. So who also features in Doctor Who. On a couple but, of occasions. But yeah, I just, I, think, I, just thinking on that, is, there's obviously the cultural difference between me. You watch Secret Army, I watched Call Me Mister. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. There we are. There we are. We we did we had different lives then, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh dear, oh dear. Okay, well, so that's it for the news. But obviously, we we've, we've got the dreaded stats have returned, haven't they? They have. They have. They have. So uh, let's let's whiz on over to Omega's stats corner. Now, um, I, I think before we get on onto it, actually, I think there's been quite a um, a few rumblings on social media about why do podcasts keep going on about um, statistics? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any difference. Um, well, there's a couple of reasons we, we continue to do it. A, because it just pads the podcast out. A, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and we wanted to ride a horse. Yes. <laughs> um, but not only that, it... It does matter to some people, so we're just bringing people the news. Now we're not obsessing over figures. We're not. We're not commenting on the fact. Oh, it's rubbish, or it's really good this week, or because oh, it's you know the future of Doctor Who's in doubt. That's not why we, why we report on this when, when there are stats to talk about. It's just the news, and some yeah. people are interested in it. So that's why we keep doing it. So um, so anyway, the the unofficial overnight figures for War of the Sontarans are three point nine six million viewers which is a drop of half a million from uh, last week's episode. Um, so that was... Uh, but that's not unusual. You always get a bit of a drop-off on the uh, on, on a second episode. The, the season premiere usually gets higher figures. Yeah, so... I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it, actually, but the final consolidated figures for the Halloween apocalypse was eventually 5.79 million viewers, which made Doctor the ninth most watched programme on British television for the week ending the 31st of October. So it's in the top 10. Yeah. There yeah. you go. You can't knock that, really, can you? No. You really can't. Um, however, the audience appreciation score for the Halloween apocalypse was 76. Now... Again, I'm not going to read too much into it, but apparently on on the scale of things, that's quite low. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last, and that apparently that's the if you if you're interested in such things, that is the lowest score achieved since Love and Monsters in 2006. I think I think achieved's the wrong word. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> However, I'm going to say Love and Monsters though has had a bit of a reappraisal. Over the years, not with me. <laughs> ah, I see. Well, it, it has. It has had a bit yeah. of a reappraisal. So, I, I'm not going to read too much into this, to be honest. And I, I know no, other, I, other, others will, but I'm not going to. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought reasonably most views on this had been reasonably positive on the first episode. So that's slightly, mm. that's interesting. But then I suspect how much of that is done by die-hard Doctor Who fans and well exactly well, that's the thing it's a specially selected panel of around about 5,000 people who go online and they rate and comment on, on the programmes yeah so if you've got 5,000 people voting out of what the final consolidated viewing for was it 5.79 I said wasn't it it's not a great percentage of those people is it no commenting and, and, so and, that's and what I'm saying you step. can't read too much into yeah. it you know. And the first episode, if you're not actually going to invest the time to watch all six episodes, then probably you're not really going to have appreciated it. No, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I think, you know, if you've had all 5.79 million voting and you come yeah. with a score of 76 out of 100, fair enough, but you've only got 5,000 out of that 5.79 yeah. million, it doesn't add up really. No. You can't read that much into it, to yeah. be honest. You really can't. I, I certainly can't anyway. But... Uh, 
But anyway, uh, that's it for stats. But <laughs> hey, folks, we've got tat. We do have some tat for you. So let's now go over to Omega's tat corner. You pester me with trinkets. Right now, Paul, you found this item of tat for us this week. And it's it's a doozy, isn't it? It is It is quite impressive, shall we say. It's very impressive. Now, this item of tat, and, and you sent me the, the link via email, and you said expensive tat as, yes. as a caveat and it is this is expensive tat folks because uh this is from big chief studios who we all know over the years we've, we've reported on their uh on their output it's never cheap no. it is never cheap but what they've uh um selling now available to pre-order and it's limited edition to of, of, of 500 units and it's the 10th anniversary doctor who definitive series set now, this is a series of 1.6 scale figures, and it features the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th Doctors. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Big, fin or Big Chief um, Studios' um, output, their 1.6 figures are highly detailed, fully posable, and, as I said already, expensive. Yeah. So, this set of four figures... Now, it's not just... A set of figures. There are so many, and there's actually too much to read through here. But as I said, they're fully realised likenesses of each of the um, each of the actors. Um, you've got interchangeable portraits, which means you can change the heads. Um, all the clothing is as screen accurate as they can get it for that scale. Um, there's lots of little extra bits and pieces that come with. You've got sonic screwdriver props and psychic paper. You've got spectacles with some wristwatches. Yo-yos, jelly babies in a case uh, for the 12th Doctor. I'd say it is amazing. Different yeah. sets of shoes. I mean, it's, you know, the detail is absolutely fantastic. However, to buy this set, at the, the pre-order price is £1,199.96. Yeah. Wow. I, now, And, and what, what actually even gets me on that is that's the pre-order price. The yes. usual price is £1,199.96. Oh, 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 actually, no, that, that, that was the, the full price I gave you there. The, there is a, a discounted price of £1,119.96, uh, which is, that's a discount of £80. Pounds. But that, with that, that's if you make the full payment. But, but, but it's yeah. the pre-order price is not any different No. To the, to the usual price. So I don't know quite why they needed to... Well, the, the the other thing to uh, take, if, yeah, well, if you are thinking of buying this, this does not include shipping costs that we added once the stock arrives, basically. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is a free bonus incentive of of a rusty K nine. I don't know if that's a euphemism for something. <laughs> so it'll be rusty K nines really chafing today. <laughs> 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 um, that, that could obviously be what the four figures are looking at in that photograph. The picture. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> yes, because you did make a comment, didn't you, on yes. the um, on the? Because <laughs> we will put the the link to this on on our um, on our Facebook um, Facebook group yeah. page. And I, and I sort of said, looking at it from left to right, so from ninth Doctor to twelfth Doctor. Yeah, we had seedy. <laughs> Shocked. No, sorry. Seedy, surprised, shocked, and hmm, strangely interested. <laughs> Which I thought was mildly curious. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
I've got to say though, Paul. I mean, I'm looking at the, 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 the that lineup now as you've described it. Um, the Capaldi figure, I think, is the best out of the four. Would would you reckon? It just it just seems that the the costume just seems to fit the figure better. They seem to have got the scale right on that. Yeah, because the yeah, tenant one, the overcoat doesn't it because I think the material is just too thick. I think for the overcoat, it, it's, it looks a bit well, starched. To be honest, though, you, I mean, it may well be, of course, that the Capaldi one is is basically at a, a better angle. Yes. So it doesn't look quite so. And the pose is good as well, with the hands yeah. in the pockets and the, the velvet jacket. It, yeah, it does look really, which, really good. Which may make that actually look better than the others, but yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, it's, I mean, it's a it's a cracking, um, it's an absolutely cracking set. It really is, but God, that's expensive. That really is expensive. But uh, and actually, the main picture of the the ninth Doctor, which uh, yeah, is is a very good likeness. Oh yes, it is. Apart from every now and then, occasionally. Sort of scrolled back up and looked at it quickly. It's Martin Lando. <laughs> it does actually, doesn't it? He's Commander Koenig in a leather jacket. <laughs> oh man, oh man. Ah, well, it's. I mean, I say if you have got the money, yeah, you won't regret it because you know it, they are fantastic figures. They really are. They really are fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah. And yeah, yeah. If, if money was no option, you, it's. But it's a lot of money to spend. <laughs> that is a lot of bloody money. That is a lot of money. But uh, hey, it does look good. It does look yeah. good. Now, on the 15th of November in the UK, at least, the missing William Hartnell story, Galaxy 4, except in episode 3, which was found a few years ago, uh, which would have been animated and is going to be released on Blu-ray. Now, um, as usual, the BFI held a screening of the animated episodes, which I was lucky enough to attend. And afterwards, I got together with my good friend James from the Doctor Who podcast and Gene and Adam from the Staggering Stories podcast and recorded our reaction to the event. Uh, Now, James is in the hot seat for this one, so here it is. Welcome once again to our outdoor recording studio just next to the back door at a BFI. It wouldn't quite be a recording here unless we refer to the smell, mm-hmm. which is actually not present at the moment. It's normally that latrinal smell, Adam, I think. Yeah, it's been over a year now since they blocked it off. I think the smell has finally dissipated. Yeah, well, it's actually quite strange recording, talking about Doctor Who without the smell of wheat. Anyway, um... <laughs> you speak for yourself, yeah? As you can tell, I'm joined once again by Adam. Hello, Adam. Hi there, how are you doing? Phil. Yes, hello, it's me again. And Jean. Thank you very much, hello. And Adam and Jean are from the popular audio podcast, <laughs> Staggering, Staggering Stories. There we go, popular, there we go. Maybe. Wonderful. <laughs> I think we have one listener somewhere. Yeah. That's Keith, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have just seen on the big screen the 1965 William Hartnell story featuring Henry the Hoover, <laughs> lots of Henry the Hoovers, Galaxy Four. As, as we always do, let's talk about the story first of all and then we'll touch on 
the animation. Jean, let's come to you first. Was that the first time you've seen or listened to Galaxy 4? I have seen the missing episode and I've seen a, a semi-telly because there isn't that many telly scene snaps, but I've seen a, a semi-pool together with some of the audio years ago. Mm. But that's the first time I've seen anything that's the full story in one go, other than probably when I was a few months old being chucked in front of it <laughs> if I was awake at the time. And would you describe it as a rocket-paced story? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so much was happening. It, it, it could have... Nowadays, you would have done that in two episodes. It would have been a lot faster yep, paced. There is a lot of uh, not running across corridors, but running across desert. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting story, but not very, very fast paced at all, even for this era. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Phil, what did you think? Uh, well, it's my first time, apart from seeing the missing episode, obviously. I've not seen any recons listening to the audio, so I've, I've come into this with a completely fresh fresh view um yeah i agree with gene it's not very fast paced is it endless scenes of chumblies <laughs> trundling across the studio floor i mean I, i'm i i'm glad they sort of kept all the original sound in there as well because it, it you i think it just adds to the uh to the whole <laughs> ambience of the, of the story really but yeah it's it's a very very slight plot really um yeah the animation was lovely it really was lovely but the actual plot itself yeah, it was so slight agree with Jean, two episodes max really. I tend to agree. Adam, how about you? Yeah, it's first time for me too, apart from missing episode, but it felt quite experimental in what they're trying to do with making the Chumblies really alien-like, you can't communicate with them, Um, the aliens were properly alien and they made a point of being hideous to humans, Uh, that's good, but yeah, it definitely, as was said in the interviews, it's done to a budget. They clearly had four episodes to fill, and not really quite enough story, but they've padded it out with the weird alien stuff. Mm. Uh, but, you know. I think this is an interesting one, and it's the first time there's that concept of the pretty thing being the bad thing, and the, for our eyes, the ugly thing being the good thing. Mm. Mm. It's that nice twist, you know, you've got the Amazonian women who originally were going to be men, um, being basically the villains of the piece, whereas the bug-eyed monster being the enemy. And as much as Chumblies get flack, they are a good design <laughs> in some extent, in that they're the first robot that actually seems to self-preservate. It, it squishes yes, down it and then does. can yeah, be yeah. impenetrable. You know, it, it, it's, it was an interesting design, and I think they were looking at trying to make them like the mechanoids before the new Daleks, but it... it Nah, they're no, not, not. They're not menacing not enough. In the same league, are they? No, cute. <laughs> I don't think there was any chance of them really replacing the Daleks with uh, with Chumblies. I mean, Phil, you alluded to this slightly earlier on. Um, Gary Russell, when he was interviewed halfway through, who I think was an executive producer here, um, said how resolute he was about not cutting any of the soundtrack yeah. and as, as you've mentioned there's a lot of scenes here and we, Adam we've discussed this about other stories as well mm. there's a lot of stuff on screen where no one speaks mm. yeah you know exactly. and and surely the temptation I think that other producers of animated episodes uh, have succumbed to is just to cut them cut those bits and yeah. I remember you and I well I was moaning most of the time to you I was saying oh god you know they could have taken about 15 minutes out of the entire story yeah, I know yeah. I know exactly I think it was, that, it was that bit at the end where they're, they're chasing the TARDIS crew back across the desert and when there was a little bit of a cut 
but no, they were literally sort of like six feet behind them, yeah. running. Yeah, so that, they, you could have had a little bit of a, a bit of an edit there. But I think what they used to sort of fill in those gaps, like the um, the drivings and the reels landed on the little sort of firefight in in the in space, mm. just to pad it out a little bit, just just to show that sort of flashback, which it probably couldn't have done back in the day we were just someone yeah. sitting on set recounting the story no I agree so it swings and roundabouts yeah. isn't it um, so I, I think it's the argument whether or not you know you have uh, the Ian Levine as of this world saying we need to have every single minute preserved in the animation mm. uh, and I, I just think it swings around about so I think get rid of the stuff that's boring yeah. you know take the opportunities like for the big space battles that animation affords that you wouldn't have been able to do that yeah. you know when yeah. it was actually made the other thing that both Gene and Phil mentioned having watched the live action version of episode three everybody mm. refers to that as the missing episode when actually it's the complete opposite it's the <laughs> yeah, only yeah, one that actually left. exists formally, yeah. <laughs> the formally formally missing episode three i mean I, I have real difficulty watching animation particularly by choice when i know there is a live action alternative uh, because i do find animation the best alternative rather than the best way of watching it and I wish they'd save the money on animating episode three and done something I, else. I tend to, I would like to have the original definitely but I like to watch the entire thing as a piece and if you suddenly change medium to, to live action it takes me out of it a bit I find and particularly you start to see all the nuances you get in live action you don't get in animation then you get to the next bit and it's all gone it feels disjointed. It's interesting because I'm the other way around I'm much, okay. I, I'm, I mean, with the Faceless Ones, the six episodes, I yep. watched... Uh, there were three different versions available. <laughs> yeah. There was the live-action bits and pieces, there was the tele-snaps, and there was the animations, and I mixed up the whole lot. And I have to say, out of all three versions, I preferred the tele-snaps, but I know there are very few mm. tele-snaps yeah. available uh, for Galaxy 4. I think they could... Maybe once the Blu-ray finally comes out for this season, maybe they could do a special edit to this, which takes it down to... 45 minutes or whatever just as a, an extra version well for a live action no 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 it's for the animation oh, you take okay. the animation you trim it down to really the bits you need <laughs> I think there is also that the slight danger of you don't want to preserve everything in aspic but on the other hand it's not 2021 style Doctor Who either mm. so you don't want to make it fast paced like Doctor Who is now so if you do edit it down it's got to be very very carefully done to preserve not the tedium <laughs> that this is but to, but to preserve the pacing that they had that then opposed to the pacing we have now yes this is slow compared to what mm. was around but the programme did have a totally different type of pacing and it might look as much out of place if you tried to do it at the modern day pacing, even through cutting. I agree. Uh, I think what you're trying to say is you can't please everybody all the time, no matter what you do. And I think actually Galaxy 4 is quite a nice sweet spot. It, it will it will check most fans' bases. I did want to pick up on a point you made earlier as well, Jane, in terms of the fact that you know women rule the universe in this particular <laughs> episode, and, and therefore, rather than ask you, Jane, I'm going to ask Phil, what do you think of women being in charge? I'm all for it. Especially the way those kinky boots. <laughs> Wasn't it funny, actually, because you had Stephen Taylor actually in the story making a point of, well, hey, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. and then, in the interview with Peter Purvis afterwards, he basically did it Exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, some very, very nice young ladies on set, I think. Is what he was saying. It's funny, isn't it, when you've got 
a fresh take uh, as it was in 1965 it was a brand new idea you yeah. wouldn't have had three very glamorous women who uh, actually who actually turned out to be the villains yeah, of the piece yeah that's quite would say progressive for the, for the day I don't know what I thought was interesting though again is that how little motivation they had at the end for their actions you know really they were just being obstreperous yeah they were almost like human Daleks and it's not us we must destroy it um, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, it, it would have been interesting to hear the history a little bit more about their planet and their origins. There was yeah. certainly room in there to do it. Yeah. There was yeah. enough screen time which wasn't being used for anything much else, which could have... could have elaborated. Yeah, given them proper Absolutely. motivation, rather than yeah. just, they're the bad guys. Yeah. Let's just talk briefly about the animation, so how this looked. And obviously the only thing we've seen as fans, live action, is a fairly cheap black and white single episodes. Now this is where I think animation can really come to the fore. It looked brilliant, yeah. I thought. Yeah, it did. It looked absolutely fantastic. I know we're talking about that, sort of getting that sort of pop art look to it, that 1960s pop art. And I think for the most, it, it really worked actually. Um, I would like to, I'm hoping there is a black and white version on, on the Blu-ray. Assume I, I'm assuming there must yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Because uh, I've now seen it on colour on the big screen, I want to see it in black and white. Can you just turn your television into black and white mode? <laughs> yeah. I could do, but, but that would be too easy and I'm a Doctor Who fan, I'd choose to do it the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I, I've often wondered that, on the blue, and this shows the lack of technical uh, awareness on my part certainly, but if you've got like two versions on two different discs, one black and white and one colour, I mean, is there much difference between wow. just turning your TV into black and white mode? What Gary has said at previous interviews, I think probably it's true for this one too, they, they do th uh, 16 by 9, but they always frame it for four by three. So you probably find the black and white one is four by three. So it's not just black and white, it's also got bars down the side. I'm so glad I asked now, I don't thank you for that. And actually, you lead me on to a point. Uh, normally, uh, I, I don't quite like, the, well, I don't like the technical discussions they have at the BFI at all. Uh, Mark Ayers, for me, lovely chap. Very interesting if you like that kind of stuff, but normally he bores me absolute rigid. <laughs> Whereas today, today, he didn't talk about all of that technical stuff. He seems to have taken on a new primord look as well. Long hair, long beard, he looks something straight out of Inferno. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, found, I found his comments about um, how they decide which story to animate next based on the quality of the sound uh, track available. Fascinating. It's an aspect, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it was, and the fact he has some of those those uh, well, original recordings, original recordings yeah. um, mm. tape reels. Um, they look like CD discs, but that's only because we're looking at them from a distance. Oh, no, so actually, no, no. Yeah, and there's like absolute seasons worth on there. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, and it's, I find it interesting as well sometimes how they don't affect the sound because there was one bit where they were running across the desert. But the audio was very obviously they were running on a studio, studio. floor. Yeah. Now there's part of me says that's the kind of audio where you could actually change that to soften it to make it sound like sand without spoiling the actual program itself because that jars me out of the reality of what I'm watching slightly. Yeah. That would have been a brilliant yeah. question to put to him actually had the opportunity because I, it must have crossed their minds. Yeah. The, the, but it is interesting with the, you get so much background as well because they're not doing the animation to the actual what 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 it went out so they reinterpret it and you can tell that because there's audio sounds of equipment or stuff going on in the background this isn't even visual in the animation at all so sometimes yeah. I sit there go 
I wonder what was supposed to have been <laughs> happening at this scene. Yeah. Um, we had uh, half an hour or thereabouts of uh, Peter Purvis yep. being interviewed by Justin Johnson of the BFI again. Uh, Phil, you've seen Peter interviewed in the past, yes, and I've I had have, the pleasure yeah. of interviewing him. What did you think this time? I think he's fantastic, actually. I mean, it, the one thing that shocked me is obviously he's got a, a, a dodgy knee now, so watch, watch him sort of <laughs> shuffle up on stage was a bit of a, a bit of a shock, actually, because last time I saw him, it was at Galley a few years ago, and he was striding around the place. That's all I expected to see. That's all we always expect to see people you grow up watching. You expect to see him striding around it as they did in their youth. But obviously, age catches up with everybody, doesn't it, unfortunately? Ironic that he's slightly less animated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's cruel. <laughs> That's cruel. But in terms of what he said... Oh, yeah. I mean, he tells some fantastic stories. Yeah, he's not... <laughs> I'm glad to see he's not quite as... Um, how can I put it? So telling tales of chasing women around the set like Fraser Hines <laughs> yeah. has uh, done in the past. Um, so yeah. it's uh, no, it, it was it was really nice to see him on stage, and he's very forthright as well. Mm. Um, yeah, he doesn't sort of mince his words. If he doesn't like something, um, it will tell he'll tell the audience or it'll tell as he recounted the story. You know, tell yeah. the you know the the director or the production manager whatever it is. You know, so it's quite it's quite interesting to hear that. I thought it was good to hear such clear memories. He's, yeah. he's um, He's clearly, he has got some clear memories. Mm. And one of the questions I would have asked, I think, would have been, you know, as and when these episodes are recovered and he watches them again for the first time in 40, 50 years, does that spark any new memories for him? And I reckon it must trigger something. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. It's interesting he's been used as a consultant uh, to help with the animation, what colours were things, what things looked like, because there are so few photos of this story. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing to have because obviously you've got Maureen O'Brien still about, and apparently they have done special features which we didn't get to see, unfortunately. But besides those two, is there anybody left? Even the production mm. staff probably are pretty much gone. So, in other words, yeah. Peter Purvis, when he gets a call to say what coloured dress was yeah. Vicky wearing, he probably just makes it up on the, <laughs> ba- on the basis yeah. that who's going to tell him he's wrong? Yeah, exactly. Green! Yeah. <laughs> what colour have you got available to animate? Oh, yeah, definitely green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Oh, wonderful. You're right, you did mention uh, the release there a little, Adam. Mm. Um, so, we know we've got a making of Galaxy 4, yep. which, yep. Uh, based on our previous comments, could be entire conjecture on Peter Purvis's part. <laughs> Uh, but Maureen O'Brien uh, features in that too, uh, who wasn't there today, but she did record a couple of minutes specifically for this performance. Yeah, mm. yeah, nice to see her. Indeed. Yeah, that, that, that was a nice little bit at the beginning before the screening. Um, Maureen just sort of like said hi because she hadn't been able to make it. Uh, I have had the um, pleasure of actually meeting her many years ago at different conventions, and for a moment I did not recognise her whatsoever. Really? But wow. yeah. But uh, no, she's one of those um, actresses we don't actually see much on the fan circle. So it's no, nice to know no. that she is still interested in it. You know, yeah. she hasn't gone, oh, that's, that's my past. I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, she hasn't been prolific in her no. appearances in fandom in the past, but it is nice to see the odd little snippet here and there. Yeah, so. it is. Wonderful. Well, I think then on that note, unless anyone else has anything revelatory to say, no. Lots no. of shakings no. of the head, listeners. <laughs> Lots of shakings of the head. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, just to go of what I just recorded there, I think it really was a, a... It was just so good just to be back with other Doctor Who fans watching Doctor Who on the big screen again. 
It, it, it really was. It really was nice to do that um, again. So um, I just, I just hope they release a few more boxes. Now, I know we've got another one coming up in, in in December. I think they're showing City of Death around about the beginning of December sometime at the BFI. But uh, I hope there's more to come next year, and I, I, I dare say there, there will be. Yeah. So I hope there's, a, I hope there is a few more events at uh, at, the, at the BFI to to cover those because they they are really good. They are they've always been good, haven't they? Actually, when, yeah. when, when we've you know when we both attended them been absolutely fantastic so uh but anyway um that wraps up this uh, this particular podcast it's quite a, a bumper episode this one so um just good to have plenty of content for once it's actually rather nice so uh we'll be back next week when we're going to take a look at once upon a time uh, see, uh episode three um of doctor who flux which i'm very much looking forward to yes so that'll be uh i've got no idea what next one's uh, next week's one's about which which is great actually. I think I think get too much from the trailer on this one. No. So it's a bit of a mystery, which which I like. I really like. So until then, we shall return next week. So it's goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you don't want to miss a show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and if you have time, leave us a quick review also. You can also subscribe to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Amazon Music and don't forget to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you want to leave us feedback, you can do this through Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast and also through the Who's He Podcast Facebook group. You can find all of these links on our website who's hyphen he hyphen podcast.co.uk.